explain, can you explain why Bitcoin is such an attractive financial tool? Because it is somewhat anonymous, not fully, and because you can move money instantaneously. So the one thing we can count on is Bitcoin goes forward in the year 2024. Fifteen seconds. Guiding the words of the doors. Twelve, eleven, ten. The time to hesitate nine. is through. Ignition sequence stop. We choose to go to the moon Five, in this decade four, and do the other three, thing, not two, because they are one, easy, but because zero. they are hard. All engine running. have you been up to lately? I saw that you were bombing around a few events. I think I might've, well, yeah, no, I definitely missed you at the Bitcoin bush bash. Uh, I think I was just saying to you off air that I uh, was too regarded to actually remember what you looked like. Cause Pete Wynn introduced us at Bitcoin alive uh, last year, the first one. And, you know, it was almost a year, I suppose. Not quite. I went by and um, it would have been it would have been actually nice to catch up with you in real life and um, get a little bit more of a glimpse as to what you were working on, uh, certainly in preparation for a conversation like this. Although, as I was just saying, the, the thread of the pod, the main point of the pod is personal experiences in and around Bitcoin rather than shilling products, so to speak. Um, but I am curious on a personal level to understand a little bit about this, uh, frost snap project that you've been working on, uh, with Nick, um, and a couple of other guys, I think from memory. Yeah. So there's with frost snap, it's myself, Nick and Adam, who's an OG Bitcoiner from Malaysia. So I, I've spent quite a bit of time in Malaysia. And uh, we, we uh, actually did a hackathon over in Malaysia to kind of we're just a sort of invitation only event that I sort of set up to invite a few people just to hack around uh, cool. in Kuala Lumpur from people who lived in around uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was the point of the hackathon was actually to put Frost into Fedimint. So we just took the Fedimint code base. We didn't know anything about Fedimint. Nick and I had been working on Frost a little bit. And we all kind of just worked together to put, try and just make a minimal proof of concept uh, to show that the Fedi Mint would actually own Bitcoin funds on chain using a single public key, not a multi-sig script. But we use Frost to do signatures under that single public key, right? So we use a cryptographic protocol to do the signing so that the signature that actually appears on chain is a normal looking signature, normal looking Schnorr signature, but in actual fact, the key is split up and it need, in order to construct that normal looking signature, you need multiple signature shares from each of the Fediment uh, guardians as they're called. Right. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what we did. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a big success. We managed to get it done in like four days, um, you know, with the final, final, uh, Final success happening at the hotel room at one AM or something like that uh, on the last on the last day, uh, and then 
from that, uh, we even uh, Dan Gould even put up a, a Bitcoin article with Nick. They wrote a, an article for Bitcoin Magazine, so you can go find it, check it out somewhere there. Uh, it was a fun, fun story. Uh, then, yeah, at that at that meeting, uh, we we went out with we went go we went to meet, meet local Bitcoiners in Malaysia, and we sort of we actually managed to sort of help set up the very first Bitcoin in Malaysia meetup, hmm. so the first Bitcoin only uh, meetup in Malaysia, uh, uh, run by this guy called Jerry, who's a, like a long time uh, Bitcoin Malaysian podcaster. Uh, and with Jerry and a few of his, you know, Vanguard, we set it up. And one of the Vanguard is a guy called Adam, and he's now our, um, he's now our our co-founder in this company, and he's the hardware guy. So at the meetup, he was showing off all these little, you know, point of sale devices. Some of them, the you know, he bought. Some of them he'd made himself, like rolled his own, put the software on the on the you know the the chips. And uh, you know the yeah, just built built things from scratch and cased them up himself with three D printers and stuff. And we're like, this guy's this guy's awesome. Uh, he's got a strong foundational knowledge, so we've like got a, he's an electrical engineer. And so we decided to start talking about what we could do together. And someone else suggested I didn't have the idea. Someone else suggested that we should actually just you know try and put our frost onto a hardware wallet, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Because I was suggesting dumb things we could do together. Oh, we should, you know, we should yeah, set up like a, you know, a shop front in Malaysia where we could sell these things or, you know, sell hardware wallets that are, you know, uh, you know, for, just from our shop front, just for fun, so we can actually learn about them. And he's, someone else was like, why don't you just build a hardware wallet with frost? <laughs> I was like, that sounds like a better idea. Let's do that. And so that's a, that's a, some, I guess that was 2022. And so now we're, uh, some, I guess the project started really getting going, uh, you know, actually some serious amount of focus happened in the beginning of 2023. So it's been growing, like, you know, it's turned in from like a two, one day a week or two days a week kind of project. Most of us uh, now into a full-time project by the end of 2023. And uh, yeah, we're looking, we're going around now shopping for um, VCs to invest. Um, but we're really, really confident in how this project's going. So the, the obvious, the, the pitch of the project is really just to, just to try and revolutionize how people interact with Bitcoin. Uh, at the, the, the first, at the point at which they first interact with Bitcoin, right? Which is usually when they seriously interact with it, they withdraw from the exchange for the first time, uh, you know, into a hardware wallet or something. We want to try and set that experience, like take this latest cryptography and change that experience to be much more secure, much more easier to do, uh, much cheaper on chain and more private, just like better in every single way. And that's kind of what we're attempting to do. And so far, so good. That's awesome. Just to to clarify, it it is a multi-signature setup, but it looks like a single SIG transaction or you know, send on chain. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And that's what got us into the project. It's like, wow, like all these multi-sig people are using could just be single signatures on chain, right? And be invisible. The multi-sig could be invisible to everyone else. Hmm. Uh, and that was like our, first, our reason to do it. And it started, it didn't start off as a commercial project. It started off as a, 
you know, let's just try this out and, you know, maybe it could be a, co a community funded project like Seed Signer or something like this, you know. Um, and then we started, as we started like refining and finessing the cryptography around it and really rethinking things and, okay, how are we going to implement that? How are we going to design this? We found like, you know, really what this allows you to do is to redesign everything from the ground up uh, around the user experience in Bitcoin. So yeah, like certainly, certainly you can do multi-seed way, way better. Uh, but it can also like, I mean, the cool, another cool thing is you can go from a single SIG to a multi-SIG. So like imagine you have one device and you, you use it as a single signature wallet. Um, and so it's like you, it's a, like similar to a hardware wallet you currently use, you take the device and when you want to spend money, you, uh, you, you authorize a, a signature somehow, maybe putting in a pin number or whatever. Right. You can go from that model uh, and you can later on go into a multi-sig without changing, without moving the funds, right? Without making a new wallet, just say, I want to convert this wallet into a multi-sig wallet. And none of your funds on chain moves. You just take that key and you split it up. That device that holds the full original key will split it up, will split it up give it to other devices and delete their own key. And now you're starting, now you have a multi-sig um, from there. Right? Oh, wow. uh, you don't even have to move the funds on chain. And then it goes like from there, you can even do things like, okay, so now you've got, you know, imagine you have a three or five multi-sig, but one of your, you want, you want to remove one of the devices, like one of the devices you've lost it or it's fallen into the wrong hands or whatever, you can actually remove that device from the multi-sig without moving the funds on chain. Right, right. Really like generating a new key between the new devices you want, getting the devices that have shares of the old key to help do that generate this, it's not a new key, it's the same key, but a new access structure, a new way of accessing that old key, and then just delete the old access structure, which you, which involved the device you didn't want. And then now you've got uh, the same key on chain, no need to move any of the funds, but you've removed one of the signers, the signing devices from that. Uh, similarly, like if you have, you imagine like collaborative custodians, like, like Unchained or whatever, you can go and incorporate Unchained as a collaborative custodian without moving your funds on chain. You just do a similar thing and you give, you generate a share for Unchained or whoever uh, to be a, a signer for you, it's to be part of your multi-sig without moving the funds on chain at all. Um, yeah, and then this is, and you can, and then remove them. You know, it's, it's all a pure, it turns all these interactions into a pure, and which would normally be major decisions, right? Mm -hmm. As in a big part is, set up a uh, life like i'm going from my single sig or i'm going from a multi-sig to a collaborative custodian multi-sig and there's so many hoops to jump through uh in this case and in order to undo that it takes a huge amount of work but you could join um unchained give them a share and then you know a week later you decide you don't want the service and remove them it's all just a software operation now wow. so that's uh, that's yeah i think we think it's pretty incredible we think it's pretty important to actually improving the security of individual um ownership so that's the first step it's not really we don't think it ends at individual ownership obviously you can imagine how like these big multi-sigs would be really beneficial for companies and things like that uh because a lot of bitcoin organizations do not custody their own bitcoin as you're seeing with the etfs <laughs> well that, that's that's a regulatory thing but uh you know even even companies that bitcoin companies they often use um third parties to 
to custody their their funds and so we, there's a lot whole like there's a whole lot of work to be done there but we're kind of using the individual soul like individual ownership um, market as a way of testing the idea first because it's the easiest to reach um, we can get used quickly and then figure out exactly how humans are meant to interact with Bitcoin through this kind of system. Right. And scale it, scale it as required at the yeah. risk of, um, dating the, the pod. And it doesn't, I, I try, I try and avoid not dating the pod and I like them to be timeless, but, um, you haven't recently collaborated with Bitwise, have you? No. And that's a very niche that. joke that you may not even get, to be honest. But okay. uh, I saw the other day that they I don't, had... I don't recall what Bitwise is. <laughs> they're an ETF, uh, ETF fund. Uh, yeah. And they have about half a billion. I think exactly. No, I just, I just read, made a tweet about that. Because they were in my head. Yeah, no, I just made a tweet about that. There you go. Like, you, I mean, I, I guess you're bringing up the fact that they have like this like pay to public key hash address on chain that has all their money. Yeah, there's like no, half a billion dollars in a single SIG address um, that they've they've posted as sort of proof of reserves, um, and you know that's, that's yeah. cool. But I guess theoretically, if they utilized something like Frostnap, they could that could appear as a single SIG um, setup, but in the background, theoretically, it it could potentially be something um, that that is leveraging a Frostnap type technology. Absolutely. Um, that's what I just tweeted about. So that shows you where my brain is at. I just have too much things going in. I in, <laughs> literally just before starting this, I tweeted about that thing. Uh, I was wondering, like, does anyone know what protocol they use to generate this key? And um, I, I would expect, I guess, that they are actually using multi. Um, yeah, I, I guess that they they're using. Um, what you can say is something like a progenitor to Frost, like a, a poor man's version of it using ECDSA, uh, which is there. Those schemes are much, much more complicated to do. To, to do what Frost does for Schnorr signatures, uh, you, for, for ECDSA, you need to ex use extremely involved cryptography to do that. And people are doing that. And I think Coinbase Custody is one of the companies doing that. I think Coinbase Custody owns. Like all the money, yes, on these ETFs, except the vast for, majority, yeah, except for yeah, fidelity. Which doesn't make any sense. on the side, just doesn't make any sense to me. Like what these all these ETFs are just front ends to the same servers at Coinbase. Like what the? How did we end up here? Like, well, that's why we sense. have the have fun staying poor meme and a few others. <laughs> you know, I, I guess <laughs> maybe people <laughs> gonna touch the stove. <laughs> But I yeah so so they I guess that they are actually like Coinbase's custody thing is actually using these more complicated protocols to custody the stuff in a single sig ECSA. I don't know why. Like I have, I have no idea why they would do that. Um, in, why wouldn't they just use short? Like why wouldn't they just use Frost and the more simple protocols to do this? Um, or maybe it's even worse, and or maybe it's they are not even using those protocols. That's what I want to know. Like, I de desperately want to know what the hell's going on there. And the, the main reason is I would just like to do a little bit of review on their ECSA multi-sig code. Because I actually have implemented those ECSA things as well. Like, I've actually worked on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've concluded that they're, like, bullshit and you shouldn't touch them. Uh, I've built systems using them. 
uh, approved concept systems. No one ever had money on them, but approved concept systems with those um, those multi-signature schemes. And I actually managed to find in the libraries I was using, I managed to find two major flaws in them, like two major exploitable flaws in them where you can steal all the money basically from uh, from the the, the multi-sig. I don't, uh, I don't I, suppose he is, but if Brian is listening, uh, you know, Mr. Armstrong, you might want to reach <laughs> out to, to Lloyd and, um, I don't know, scale, like increase your, uh, increase your, um, your setup, you know, um, strengthen a little bit. It sounds to me like it's a really powerful yet flexible way to interact, um, with, your Bitcoin holdings with your UTXOs, whatever, um, you, you're yeah. sort of injecting a whole bunch of flexibility that also, I guess, by extension, improves privacy as well. If, if it's appearing as one thing, but it's actually operating as another, that's, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, sim- it's at the base layer, you're simplifying everything. Uh, you know, the, the Bitcoin doesn't need to have, it doesn't need to be have exotic uh, things going on on the actual base layer because we're doing exotic things off the chain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the anything you can do to make Bitcoin more boring is worth doing. I think that's the entire point of Bitcoin is to be more boring. As boring as it possibly can be is probably still a bit too exciting because probably Money. too many things can do with it. Yeah. Like JPEGs on the thing are probably too exciting. It's got to be, you know, you, Bitcoin is a, when designing, developing for it, it's all about being humble. And making it as boring as possible, uh, you know. Some it's not a it's not a it doesn't sound very exciting, but someone's got to do it, and that's what good Bitcoin developers do, in my opinion. They make the things simpler and more boring because the current financial system is way too exciting, uh, especially the base layer. Way too much stuff going on there. Way too many third parties involved uh, in any kind of simple transaction. It's overly complicated, and money getting siphoned out. Even new money being created arbitrarily, according to policymakers, which is way <laughs> too exciting for me. Uh, and then, then you've got like other systems like Ethereum uh, that is, you know, making everything from tr- even trying to go above the existing system, making everything way, way, way more exciting for any every aspect. You know, you've got flash loans, rug pulls, and just like constant mayhem all the time. Uh, and I can see that that's why, you know, these, these pilot programs to, you, you know, improve the central bank or to improve such a bank is always using Ethereum because it's got like a lot of exciting ways to add third parties um, and add fragility and parasites into that system. And that's, uh, with Bitcoin, yeah, we're just trying to keep things boring. I think Frost is a way of keeping things boring uh, on Bitcoin, the blockchain. I'm not sure how effective that would be as a tagline for the company itself. You know, Frostnap, keep Bitcoin boring. Um, but, but certainly, you know, from a marketing perspective, I'm not sure how compelling that is. But, but I get the point and I appreciate um, the, uh, the intention behind it. Do you think, don't you think it would be good, but not, not for our company, but like for Bitcoin in general, like, you know, Bitcoin, it's just boring money. Because people look at it and it's very exciting. You know, people like, did you invest in Bitcoin and so on and so forth? Um, you know, it's always so it's always seemed as like a super exciting field. But I guess it would be interesting to see if people change their opinion about it. It'd be marketed as boring. 
I'd like to read some historical accounts of uh, the early days of gold adoption as money mm. and wondering whether or not it was just as compelling and exciting. Uh, I dare say they didn't have any podcasts back then, but certainly uh, the rumor mill could have been rife or maybe some um, public forums, some, some talks hosted in your local meetup, your little gold meetup in your local city. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think that about, about that a lot. I mean, I don't want to go, go off on a tangent, but like, to me, like, we can't, we never got to see this moment that gold, like, became, or started to become money, right? Right. We never got to see what it was like. And I expect, actually, the first guy, like, the first merchant or king or whoever it was who said, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to use gold. And uh, you guys can piss off with all your, you know, bags of salt or whatever you were trading beforehand, little clay things or what, doodads and different commodities. You know, I'm just accepting gold and suck it up. You got to get gold if you want to buy anything from me. I reckon that guy was probably a crazy guy. Like he was probably like a revolutionary. Uh, mm -hmm. No one knew what to think of him. I think he was probably a lot like the early Bitcoiners, you know, on Bitcoin talk. I mean, he had to have been selling. He had to have been selling something that people wanted, you know, he probably had energy to sell because to command, you know, like I'm, I'm not taking your uh, Panos cloth or your salt, your glass beads, forget it, your cows, not cutting it. Uh, I don't even want your shitty silver. I want gold. And yeah. uh, everyone had to kind of capitulate and bend the knee yeah. because he yeah. had whatever it was that he was, was selling was clearly more important. Lloyd, <laughs> yep. how did you discover Bitcoin? So, I was, it was around 2011. I remember mining it. So, I remember, it seems like a crazy thing, you know, it was just a new thing. And I hadn't, I was already at that time, like quite into Austrian economics. Okay, so I was already, uh, you know, sort of libertarian pilled at that time, uh -huh. if I recall correctly. And like, it's, I was uh, my, I was building a PC with my brother and we had a beastie graphics card in it. I was like, we can mine Bitcoins with this. Let's try and do that. And so we did, uh, we did that. I did that for a few days. I got, I think I got like a Bitcoin or so out of that um, mm. at that time. I think Bitcoin was like, I don't know, like fourteen dollars or something like that, or four dollars. I can't. Remember. It was in the. It was, it was a volatile time. Uh -huh. Everyone was finding out. I was part of a wave, like the first, I guess the first wave. There's wide magazine articles and these things. But it was towards the end of 2011, um, and I was not exactly early on the bandwagon at that time, but like you know, a bit later. And I, it worked. For, it seemed to work. I didn't. I threw away the Bitcoin. I didn't get the bitcoins. I never withdrew them from the mining pool. But I remember setting this installing Bitcoin, you know, QT stuff, Bitcoin Core. Bitcoin wasn't called Bitcoin Core back then, but Bitcoin on my like, Windows machine, installing some Python scripts or something to mine mine uh, Bitcoins as fast as you could. Pointed at the mining pool um, and just rip apart the graphics card. Uh, try and do that. Left it on all night. And I was like, this is not, this is making like four dollars a day. And it's not even worth the electricity, so I'm just going to turn it off. I never withdraw them, the bitcoins from the mining pool. Um, then, but I was like, okay, so the money I didn't get. No one told me that it was going to be worth a lot of money, obviously. 
and uh, I had no idea there would be, but I still didn't know there would be worth any money like later on in 2015. So my next contact really, I was always paying attention, like listening to not Bitcoin podcasts. I don't know how many of them were there were back then, but Bitcoin, maybe bit tangent, like libertarian style to tangent, they had Bitcoin episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's always, mm-hmm. always interesting. I was like, you know, I saw the Silk Road and I thought that was awesome. You know, just like a full, this is what the technology should do. It's a, like an anonymous payment system. And then we can like remove government restrictions from our, you know, from our decisions by using this anonymous payment system, right? So I thought of it as a payment system uh, carrying on. I didn't know, I really liked it. I didn't, I wanted some experiments with it. Like I was trying to make servers that you could get paid um, in Bitcoin to like, you know, uh, pirate a movie for you. So like some, you know, I was clearly like inspired by the, the, the more uh, illegal side of Bitcoin that time. So I was like thinking maybe like you could get servers to like pay in Bitcoin and just like it would automatically like pirate and start streaming movies like from a library. Um, that was, and I was looking at that. Uh, and I started buying Bitcoin to do this experiment. Then um, I, that experiment fell through, but I kept on the Bitcoins and those went up in value a lot. And then I also tried like reading, mastering Bitcoin. I bought this book, so I read, read the shit out of them. Because I remember Andreas Antonopoulos like was, was the big guy at this time, right? He's he was one of the, the only guy. ones, yeah. He was the only, pretty much the only one really promoting Bitcoin. And he wasn't really like coming from a libertarian angle, actually. He was coming from his own uh, his pseudo-libertarian angle mm-hmm. and his own personal, let's just say, like his own genuine... Um, feelings on the subject, more like, a, I guess, like a WikiLeaks, Edward Snowden aligned angle, right? A digital privacy sovereignty angle, right? And so I thought it was awesome that everyone was joining the WikiLeaks back in the day when that happened. Is, so I was very, had a very strong opinion, but hadn't made the connection to Austrian economics at all. I had no, no idea these two concepts would be related, or I didn't know, I think they could be related, but I didn't know that anyone else knew that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Bitcoin as more of an extension of the peer-to-peer. Uh, like the file sharing right like torrenting and such yeah exactly torrenting and it was like an extension it was these were like the torrent people doing money now and they didn't really get the austrian side of things and so it was just a cool payment system which allowed that we could before we could you know skirt copyright and stuff by doing torrenting and now we could skirt you know um drug laws and stuff i never bought drugs by the way on on silk road in case anyone anyone cares but i was i was into it (laughs) in in the sense that i was a fan of it not the drugs but like the idea and the uh, the ability to, um, I, I remember one day I went to like the Satoshi Dice, right? Yeah. And I could just send money to an address and like get money back without ever signing up to a website. That to me blew my mind. Like that, this is what it was for. And there were other things like there were ways of doing trading, like binary options, I remember. It was like Satoshi options or whatever. Everything was prefixed Satoshi at this time. And so you could send money to like an address and that would indicate a position, like a long position on the great British pound versus US dollar, right? And I was a trader also that time. I was dipping my hands like on traditional fat currency markets and stuff. And so I was like, whoa, like my existing trading platform, I have to do all this identification, I have to do all this stuff. And his thing, I just send money to an address and it comes back. Like that's, that's a freaking incredible. It's not practical as a trading tool, but just like that blew my mind. That, that was removal so of friction. Yeah, that just like why even have the username and password crap, right? Who needs all like, that? Yeah, that removal of exactly the removal of friction and identity from things, decision making. Like, why isn't 
taking a position as simple as clicking a button? Um, why isn't money in this this platonic sense like just thing a thing that I own and can be sent over the internet? Uh, why, yeah, all it, that just like that's there's a kind of thrill, right? When you first send a Bitcoin transaction, there's this kind of amazement, thrill, right? Gets you obsessed with it, um, and that that I got that thrill again at that time. Yeah, cool. You know, sending money to those that, the, those things. Actually, I don't even know if I sent money to. I just looked at them and I said, "Wow, that's incredible." I remember, like, I remember, like, okay, this Bitcoin thing is incredible. I still didn't get its connection to the economic side of things. So still wasn't there on that. Andre Zandonopoulos was there, like uh, saying, like you know, you don't need to should people be like, like should you invest in Bitcoin, right? And he'd be like, no, you don't need to invest in Bitcoin. What you need to invest is in yourself and your education about this system, right? This is what I did. Like that's really what I was doing, and that's what I did. And I really wish someone had just told me to invest in it, um, you know, and said invest in it, and then you can educate yourself later because <laughs> uh, that would have. Uh, that would help me out a lot. <laughs> so I didn't invest in it. I had some Bitcoins around, but that was just for education purposes, right? Uh, setting up little schemes and what have you. Um, eventually, like it got to 2017 and I was like, had those Bitcoins. And then I think that that's, that's when Bitcoin, I don't know if it was 2016 or 20, I can't remember now, Bitcoin Cash fork. I remember when the Bitcoin Cash fork was coming up, I was kind of like disgusted with the whole situation. Um, with with the bitcoins, I wasn't paying that much attention, but just seeing like everyone was devolving into some you know internal struggle where we really had to like you know this if this this technology was pretty amazing and should be doing you know working together to do things, and I was not doing any work, so I was just like a observer. But like these guys seem like they're now like they've taken this amazing opportunity, and now they're just fighting amongst each other. That's what it looks like to me. And so I just sold all my bitcoins at that time. Because I thought like there's no point holding on to them uh, before the chain split. Like what I'm gonna get two coins? It sounds stupid. Anyway, that was the worst time probably to sell uh, bitcoins, and also sent them away to people. Like I just sent them, donated them to some you know some podcasters I like. Uh, sent whole coins around like whatever. <laughs> Looking back, like, no idea. But anyway, yeah, obviously the the. Uh, I sold them all, sent some around, and then I had no bitcoins. And then, like, then you had really had the, this. The, I was, I get to, I got to experience my first Bitcoin bull market where I was paying attention with no bitcoins. Oh man! Uh, going up to ten k, I guess, ten uh, k, and then all the way, no, all the way up to eighteen k. It was like, yeah, it was just shy of twenty k. I think it was nineteen something, nineteen eight, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I remember, like, okay, so at this time, like, I've not, still not involved technically in bitcoin at whatsoever uh i i'm super uh, i'm super a fan of this thing going but i'm actually trading traditional financial markets and i've, I've done very well this time uh you know quit my job and everything because i've done very well and then i'm trading automatedly so writing my own software to do it I don't recommend doing this. Everyone thinks that they could do it. You definitely can't. There's a long story there. I have actually managed to succeed in this, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's very, very hard. Okay. So it's, it really requires some miracles to actually do it. But I managed, managed to pull off a miracle uh, to actually make a profit over a year and did, you know, got paid more than I got paid at a job from that. So I was doing, but then I started losing money. Okay. Then I started stop. I stopped making money then. And then my, you know, you, you, when you, when you're young and you're doing, uh, you get made a success, uh, you often like 
assume that the success will carry on forever. But actually, it was a miracle that I had any success whatsoever doing that. And it didn't really carry on for that long. Um, and then I started to need money. And I saw that all these guys over in this Bitcoin crypto thing are making a lot of money. The damn um, second law of thermodynamics, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it certainly applies to human psychology. <laughs> you, you shoot yourself. It's the same thing with trading. Like, you know, you have, the stocks are going really well or your, your stonks or your coins are going really well. And then you're like, damn, I'm a genius. My only mistake is not doubling down. It's not too late right now. And then you, you go all in and then you're at the top, right? It's the same thing with life. <laughs> so and I guess Bill all, wasn't around good. at that point too with his tweets of um, hodl comrades don't trade. I didn't even join Twitter. I was, yeah, I, of course, I would love to have known Bill much earlier in my life. would have saved me a lot of money and um, time suffering. But, you know, what, it, what Bill says is it's just tuition fees, Lloyd. That's what he would say. Um, and it's, uh, <laughs> I've been paying tuition fees. Uh, <laughs> That's the way I think of it. Uh, every 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 time I mess something up since then, it just happens still uh, still frequently. Just so, on yeah, that, this uh, trading. I just uh, sorry to interrupt, man. I just on that note. Um, do you ever get like a for for maybe like people that are new to Bitcoin? Do you ever get like a pang of anxiety? You know, you were mentioning you just hurling whole coins around just because you were experimenting. You took on Andreas's advice and you were trying to learn about this thing. It, it seemed like from a very um, a very uh, humble, I guess, perspective, you know, you hadn't quite put those two and two together because at that point, I, I guess you still hadn't clicked the value prop of this thing going up forever, Laura, so to speak. Uh, yep. Do you ever get that, still that kind of, fuck, what if? Like, you know, is that human psychology sort of, or do you just kind of shut that down and be like, just, that, that's just happened, man, and just move on, make peace with it? I definitely did at the time, okay? So, like, yeah, like, obviously, in 20, 2015, I was doing very well trading. 2016, I was doing very well trading, and I was, like, making good money. But, like, the whole thing, like, was extremely difficult, extremely challenging to do, and I pulled it off. It was very, very hard work, waking up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. to do stuff, writing software all day to get this stuff to work, and I managed to get it to work. But imagine if I just, like, did the smooth brain thing and just bought Bitcoins. Like I have so much more money. So like, uh, this is what I, at the time, was like, okay, so I made this money. I basically lost it all, spent it all, lost it all to taxes. Um, now I have no money. And now the smooth brains are all making a lot of money in Bitcoin. That's annoying. And then I go, and then that's where the story continues. And I, and I go and try and make money in it. And of course, I'm the exit liquidity. And of course, I'm trading shit coins here, mostly. Bitcoin, shitcoin, Ethereum, whatever other stuff. Um, and then, then I lost all the little money I did have left uh, with that. And then I got quite a pangs of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, oh. you know, I, for me, it's like I'd already, like, I'd already done this before. I'd already lost all my money before. Right. Maybe more around 2011, 2012. Like I, I, even, even earlier than that, like any money that I'd had at that time, I'd already lost it all. Anytime I get any money, I usually do some kind of scheme and I lose it all, um, all the way up. So I was trading. I was, in, I was a gold bug. Like I listened to Peter Schiff. So I was like very early, like in terms of this, like this now, this, uh, let's say, ideological network that's grown up right. around Bitcoin. Like I was there with the Ron Paul 20, whatever. 
uh, stuff. <laughs> you know, I was very, very, very early on that kind of, in that I was, I was the pre, I was part of the pre-Bitcoin, you know, um, your thing there. And so I was in gold, right? I bought gold stocks, got fucking hosed on those, right? So I lost all my money there. I got, um, I lost all my money trading. So learning how to trade, uh, buying and selling stuff like on for stocks, uh, you know, uh, commodities, all these kind of things, uh, foreign exchange, lost all my money like several times there. Like I was working, I had a day job, worked, got money, got 10 grand. All right, here we go. Let's go. And then I lost it all like several times, like many times. So it's like not a new feeling for me by this point. So these pangs of anxiety, I've already been panging myself with anxiety. And I kind of learned to enjoy it in this weird, sadistic way. Like, oh yeah, I just <laughs> kind of thing. So this, this, it's just another one of these things. My wife doesn't like it, but I kind of like, you know, there's a kind of sick sense of enjoyment you get out of it because it's like intense learning, right? It's in, you're really being, um, you're having your mind being, uh, I don't know, Stretch, pulled, twisted. Shaped, shaped with a blade iron hammer into <laughs> reality. Like your, your, your personality flaws and decision judgment flaws are all on view. So obvious that, and exposed to yourself. Like you're, that's, that's kind of a nice, it's, it's very painful, but it actually you get, you get to enjoy it. You get to enjoy having your personality flaws being exposed. And each time, one of these times, it's like a different, it's a new learning. It's not, I wasn't like addicted to failing in the same way. It failed in different ways. It kept failing. Um, but you're failing, had, failing better. Yeah, failing better and having amazing successes after the several failures, right? Um, this is the way. Yeah, this is, this is the way. So I was very good at that by that time. And so I lost all my money on shitcoins, but I managed to, look, to be fair though, I bought the right shitcoins. Like, and then actually, like after the thing fell, uh, I bought those shit going. I, I got a job at an amazing research lab. And this is probably one of the things that saved my life. Uh, you know, really, because I was very nihilistic at this time. Like I had no hope for the future. I didn't understand because I still didn't understand Bitcoin. Right? right. So I had no real, like, I was just like, I was, you know, in this situation, losing my money a lot, you know, whatever, gambling and stuff. But I was pretty nihilistic um, about things. I was about to have a kid uh, with my wife, and so I had to get a job. And I got a job with these great guys here in uh, Sydney. In Sydney, uh, they started up this something called the Coblox Research Lab. Okay, so the Coblox is was the research lab arm of a company called Ten X, which has a sort of, a somewhat sordid history uh, in the crypto space. Uh, I mean, it just sounds sordid. It, it does. It, is, it kind of was sort of. It, it's actually a very cool history that I'm not. I will not go into. Um, you know, if we have a personal, private drinks, I'll tell you more about what happens. But it, it, they they had a great CEO. Uh, I think the CEO. I'm not sure CEO, but a founder. One of the founders called a Toby, and he. We had we had a we had a. We I went into the interview. Got, I got. I don't know. I don't know how I got these. I think they found me on LinkedIn or something. You know, some some headhunters found me on LinkedIn, and I was like, "Well, research lab in Sydney for crypto." Well, I know a lot about that now. And I was also really. I thought the tech was great. I was really interested in how that might shape human history. I did think it was a human history shaping thing. I didn't understand it was Bitcoin yet. So it's a human history shaping thing. I'm like, I could be involved in that. And that's that's amazing. And that in, in Sydney as well. And they paid paid a good salary. 
I was also going around to blockchain jobs. Like I, I managed to, I interviewed for a blockchain job in Sydney, which by these guys who were going to make like some digital ID for the New South Wales government. Cool. Shit on the blockchain, mm. right? So the New South Wales, like if you're, in, you're, if you're in Sydney, this is like, or in New South Wales, this is what the government will waste money on. And uh, they were something called, I think they were called Core Logic. Is like a very, and I think that they're very big. They did the New South Wales online voting system as well. So it was like this massive government contracting thing. And they were just looking for someone who knew the fuck what a blockchain was to sell the <laughs> New South Wales government a blockchain. And they were willing to pay a very, very good salary oh, for this. Um, and I was like, okay, they got this New South Wales. I, I, and I would have to like dress up in a suit, meet politicians and stakeholders and so on and play all that game. But it was a lot of money. So I was like, well, I mean, I came from zero to being totally broke to getting like a very good salary here. Um, that's pretty good. But anyway, I went with the, I went with instead this research lab, uh, set up the, 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 the gray and arm of 10X, the, the Codeblocks research lab, uh, run by Philip, Philip, who was uh, Toby, the CEO's brother. And uh, he was studying over in Sydney. He wanted to start something. He was a computer science uh, guy. And so we started up this, and I was the fourth employee over here at Coblocks, working for a slightly less money, but still really, really good. Uh, and we were doing atomic swaps. So that's uh, trying to swap Bitcoin and Ethereum slash other cryptocurrencies. So buying and selling without a trusted third party. Okay. Exchange. Mm -hmm. So you, you and I, JD, could um, swap uh, Bitcoin to Litecoin. There was usually Litecoin was given as the example as all the time here. Uh, with, Bitcoin uh, silver. You had, yeah, exactly. You had, you had Litecoin, I had Bitcoin, and I would buy the Litecoin uh, with my Bitcoin. You would get the Bitcoins, and there would be no trusted third party involved. Right? Um, that's pretty amazing you could do that. Right? So it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's very, it, and so what I learned, the programming language Rust, and I learned a lot about software architecture uh, for these, for, from my job, we worked with some really amazing people there that started that, that company. We got this guy called Thomas Isinger, who's now a very um, prolific Rust developer. And also he works, um, he, he runs the Bitcoin Rust, the Bitcoin, the, not the Bitcoin, the Rust Sydney meetup. Uh, so if you come to Rust Sydney, if you want to, if you're a Rust programmer, want to come along, it's really, uh, really an awesome meetup. So he's, um, he, I learned a lot from him. And we, looked, we did some really hard shit. And so I got really good, let's say. I did, that's where I got pretty good at software engineering uh, at this time. And then uh, had, the, had the kid, had enough money for it to be comfortable for a little while. And I just couldn't take uh, full-time work and having a kid. I was too soft for that. So I just <laughs> took some time. I took, uh, I, after six months of that, I, I don't think like, that's uh, soft at all, man. I think that's hardcore. I think that's, that's actually the, the best thing you could have done. <laughs> so yeah so and actually funny story so at this time like the, we're i'm leaving the company a guy called tobin is coming in and tobin is now a big a big rust bitcoin maintainer so he does work a lot on rust bitcoin and he's coming in and they start working on like bitcoin monero atomic swaps and they i sort of consult with them my my old colleagues and we, we, i work on the cryptography bit because that's what i that's my niche now i do like a lot of i study cryptography quite seriously in my own time like reading, reading actual textbooks and, you know, actually getting to the principles and the theory of cryptography. So I'm getting pretty good at that this time. And I think that, that felt like a way of unlocking a lot of value. Yeah. 
And so what they started working on is Bitcoin Monero atomic swaps. And actually this is relevant just today because in the last few weeks, this code that they built actually um, showed up in Samurai Wallet. <laughs> so my code and this code that we were working on back all the way back then in I don't know, 20, 2019, I wanna say, just before COVID, I think, is actually in Samurai Wallet now. Uh, so you can actually swap Bitcoin to Monero and Monero to Bitcoin um, in Samurai Wallet, which is not a, a, at all what I wanted things to be like. <laughs> like if anything, I wanted it to allow people to sell Monero for Bitcoin, uh, not buy it. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. Uh, so people are using now my code to buy shitcoins. So it's not really what I wanted. But and we can we can I can say that I started pivoting towards Bitcoin at this time. Like I started getting it. Right. And right, most, right. Like, I think the credit goes to Stefan Levera probably, and like the, the other Austrio Bitcoin guys who could explain to me that this actually, this were, the Bitcoin people actually were my people, right? They were the, they, Bitcoin was the thing I've been looking for, right? Uh, Austrian uh, understanding, uh, methodology and theory, uh, sound money, like just a simple fixed supply is actually fine. It doesn't, uh, you know, there's no good rigorous rigorously supported reason why you shouldn't have a fixed supply and if we can have a fixed supply well that would be very simple because then we wouldn't have to figure out who to give new money to right i mean that because figuring out who to give all the new money to if for some reason the economy needs lots of new money i mean that's a pretty hard job and i can imagine some people corrupting that system if they was such a system to create new money that they would be uh, somewhat parasitic on our society if they uh, figured out how to corrupt that new money system and I think that had happened. So uh, yeah, so now no, no new money. And but how else would you fund the uh, digital ideas on my blockchain from the state government? Yeah. How would you do that if you didn't have an <laughs> elastic supply? I mean, what you could do is, I mean, just like use taxes, I guess. I mean, that's the serious answer. Oh, right. Steal from people. <laughs> cool, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that you could just use taxes instead to, to fund your things. Um, because the, the yeah, getting them new money, getting free money, that really is a power that I don't think any human has over, over another human. Yeah, but money. think of the stakeholders and the suits and I know uh, all of those things, man. You know, that's that's the cream on top. I actually wish that I was. I mean, I, I don't wish that. I I kind of wonder whether or not if I was smart enough, whether I would I would have the the wherewithal to take advantage of this my blockchain stuff and be like, yeah, we can we can definitely build you a digital ID system that would be fully functioning and distributed throughout the population of New South Wales. Uh, <laughs> if you give us X amount over the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years, we'll, we'll do it. We, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. And um, yeah. <laughs> just, It's very hard to do. That's why I couldn't do it. I don't think I could do it. That's why I was, I was like looking at that. You've got like a conscience? It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it, the ability, you have a view of the world that does not align with that being a thing. And even though I was a shitcoin at this time, right, I still couldn't align myself with, from first principles, the government taking money in taxes and then spending it on this complete nonsense. Uh, you know, having a, you just need a database for digital identities. Uh, even if digital identities were somehow helpful or like beneficial. Just need you just need a database for them. Uh, you can distribute the database, I guess. Like if you can't trust a single government 
building to actually ho house a server that does the right thing, which I don't know why you couldn't, like you're the fucking government. So just put armed people there or whatever to stop people from screwing with the server or whatever. It's like, it's, it seems simple to me. But anyway, so the, yeah, I mean, but they got their project commission. Like, That's why you're not in that job, man. That's why you're not in that job. <laughs> yeah. they got they got the money like they got whatever the money was okay. to do this like if you look it up you like core logic new south wales digital identity uh you know you can look it up they they got the money and they got their project manager or whoever whatever i would call i've seen your engineer for that job it wasn't me but that's uh, all you was. need that's all you need take the money and run yeah um buy bitcoin so, exactly so from this moment onwards i was a self-funded bitcoin researcher developer just started working on things and doing wacky things i was not like i had not figured out all of bitcoin yet because i was still making proposals or doing things that were a bit too complicated and not really realistic and i don't know if you noticed but you may see some people doing that <laughs> right now some people are learning that uh, lesson and right now they're just trying they're putting their uh, all their effort into quite complicated systems yes they use bitcoin yes they maybe they're beneficial bitcoin but uh, and they use complicated maybe cryptography or computers aspects of computer science, and maybe uh, their benefit is not uh, not immense. It just sounds immense, but it really, what is the actual user going to do with these things? What is the how is the Bitcoin system these uh, things? And so I was one of those guys doing that to the to the to the hilt, I guess, um, and. But learning a lot doing that, it's always worth it. I mean, the intellectual exercise of coming up with these schemes. I remember I came up with a scheme. I presented a scaling Bitcoin 2019. Um, and it was a way of doing like a lottery or like a, a, you and I getting into a lottery contract, right? So doing a, like a, a, a coin flip. And so you put in one Bitcoin, I put in one Bitcoin, the winner gets the two Bitcoin, right? On right. a random, but randomly. And so, and you could do this actually without any smart contract quote unquote right without any using any of the programmability of bitcoin you could do this just with cryptography just with digital signatures and stuff um and that was pretty amazing to me like that's very i still think it's a very cool result like it's a very cool demonstration of the power of cryptography that you can actually do that you can you can yeah. flip a virtual coin mathematically <laughs> um, over the internet and actually decide this on the bitcoin blockchain using some fundamental building blocks of cryptography that was quite a quite an awesome quite an awesome outcome, but not no one no one's ever going to use this. I think I hope so. <laughs> but it is it, it, an interesting it's an interesting demonstration of the power of cryptography, right? So I was doing these kinds of things and um, not making uh, not making any money, of course, but just you know, getting my name out there. I guess it was a strategy to get my name out there, meet people, scaling Bitcoin, and so on. Um, in the end, like we COVID started, Bitcoin crashed. Like all my Bitcoins were pretty much worthless at this time. Like I invested like all that money I got from the job, uh, the Roblox job before I you know, left because I had a kid uh, into Bitcoins. And so they weren't worth, they were, I don't know, they went down to like 3000 or $4,000 this time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Below two, yeah. Oh, shit, shit. I mean, that's, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean that was that fell pretty far. I mean that was that was not that was the worst crash of Bitcoin that I've ever seen. That was um that was immense. Like compared to what we've just gone through now, that was not basically nothing compared to what that crash from like I don't know ten k, fourteen k, I can't remember what it was, but all the way down to two or three or some shit. That was 
that was unbearable basically like that just gave me the pangs again right the, in, the pangs <laughs> i enjoyed uh, there and so i was stuck with no money uh pretty much broke i was doing a little bit of work on the side but not not much money. i took all my like superannuation out uh as much as i could because we had that thing in COVID, you could take take your superannuation, which for those who are not Australian, like it's like your retirement stuff, but they gave you a little bit of access to that. Uh, so I managed to take all of that out to keep going. And during this time, like this, uh, Steve Lee from formerly Square Crypto um, came and just like said, hey, we've heard about you. We think you're doing really good work and um, we'd like to give you money. Basically <laughs> save my life again. Right on. Uh, yeah. And so he, uh, he and the Square Crypto people gave me a nice grant, like $80,000 a year. Um, that just made everything, fixed everything for me. I still held, held on to bags and bags of shit coins. Um, and I bought a lot of them at like very cheaply because I doubled down on them when they fell a lot. And so I, that allowed me not to sell them to keep going, right? So I held on to a bunch of shit coins, uh, Bitcoins as well. Um, then they popped off. In, in that bull run, like insanely. And then I'm now I'm quite comfortable from this. So I sold these shit coins. Um, and I've just been working independently ever since up until joining the frost snap project, just working on a lot of stuff on Bitcoin dev kit. Uh, like I was there before it was called Bitcoin dev kit, working on that with, uh, Alecos, just making pull requests and stuff and just hung around there and sort of got distracted into trying from anything I wanted to build. It was like, ah, but I need the Bitcoin dev kit to do this. So the Bitcoin dev kit didn't do this. So I tried to make it do it. And eventually like got really stuck into Bitcoin dev kit more in just general, trying to make it work for everyone rather than just for my own projects. Um, yeah, met Nick, my co-founder sometime in this time in the, in the Bitcoin bush bash. Uh, started working with him on cryptography stuff. So I tried to do mentoring him a bit on cryptography and then that's how this, the frost thing got started, and that's how um, that's how this uh, company got started, and that's where I am now. That's a good good enough summary. Yeah, man, that sounds. It it, <laughs> it actually sounds like um, the the as you've been sort of laying this all out, um, a a sort of a narrative version of the uh, the bell curve meme, where you you kind of, I mean, you kind of slid from the midwit thing all the way down to the left hand side. And now you're slowly <laughs> making your way up to the right-hand side ascension where you're like the, the, the ninja Jedi, um, where you just, you, you're finally recognizing the, the value prop of Bitcoin. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. And you, you kind of, you've gone, you've gone through hell and back, man. And, and all of it has, has sort of enabled you to, to be where you are now so that, you know, it, it wasn't all for nothing. It, it's actually you know, these are the tensions and frictions that people have to, these are the good tensions and frictions people have to go through rather than the, uh, the banking rail frictions, um, in order to get shit done. Yeah. Yeah. Proof of work wins out, huh? Yeah. In the end, uh, made some, you know, I just made bad decisions, but you know, learned from them and made some good ones from very, very good ones along the way. Right. So that's, um, and, and had a lot of very, I had a lot of luck help people like just happen to exist at the right place at the right time to help me out and get rid of the bad times uh on the way so that's um yeah so it's um all going very well now so grateful to everything uh all the bitcoiners that have helped me along the way how has discovering bitcoin changed you 
Yeah, so the, the, I, like I mentioned, I was quite nihilistic around 2017, um, mm-hmm. 2018. Um, I just just wanted to make money and just be comfortable and not have to slave or what, like not wage slave. That's all I wanted, really. I didn't care about anything else in the world. <laughs> so I was into schemes and whatever, and I, I'd gotten rid of wage slaving for a while, which was good, but then I um, came back and, uh, you know, and uh, came back to it, uh, for, had to come back to it. And then I was pretty nihilistic, just wanted a way to make money. And now I don't really care that much. I could easily get a salary. If it was working on the right thing, I would easily take a salary doing something. Um, as long as it's making the world better and, uh, I'll be happy to do it. You know, I can stay humble and not have to, and just stack stats. Um, luckily enough, I'm the the salaries I would get would be in Bitcoin now, and I'm working in Bitcoin. But even you know, even if I somehow couldn't work in Bitcoin, I would still be happy enough to be a pleb and you know stack stack whatever. Uh, you know, so I have a much more positive vision of the world now because there's Bitcoin and we can you know fight for it in whatever way we can we can. So that's what I that's what uh, how it's changed me. I don't have um, I have a positive view of the future of the world. I think my kids could have a good future if we keep up this fight and pull it off. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be terrible. Don't have to be the best. The best future I imagined before was like I would be sitting in some exotic location and watching the world, you know, burn comfortably. Um, <laughs> and now I'm here in the fire and trying to put it out. So it's the, the, that's that's the different different vision. Yeah, that's honorable, man. That's that's very cool. It's, um... Yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like, there there is such a hopelessness pervasive in, in the culture, in the social sort of um, realm of things, particularly anything you step outside of the MSM. I was talking to uh, Andy from Bitcoin Advisor uh, recently, and, you know, yeah. he's talking about how it just feels like... I was on a panel un- with him. Just like, I was on a panel with him just uh, two days ago. There you go. Right, so he feels oh, like he's sort of been unplugged from the matrix and uh, sort of straddling these two boundaries, you know, slowly sort of moving over into a full-on Bitcoin network mode of, of being and leaving that kind of world behind because there is just a lot of hopelessness and sense of pessimism and nihilism, like you said. And for some interesting, curious reason, this neutral protocol that allows you to exchange value across space and time uh, enables you to do a 180 and start dreaming the dream, you know, whether or not it's, um, you know, a better world for yourself or certainly for your children, for your kids. And uh, my vision of that basically just looks like, you know, the 21st century version of sort of like the 90s, I'm pretty sure. I think that's my... <laughs> that's that's my vision, you know, nineties movies yeah. and stuff. Without the deadbeat dads, um, you know, the divorcee <laughs> dads narrative where it's like he's trying to turn things around because he's been absent for most of their life. Uh but that's a whole nother tangent. No, I, I think about the nineties a lot. I'm showing like those movies to my kids They're the greatest like, movies. Over Christmas, yeah. It's, so, it's I mean Home Alone culture. and Home Alone Two. Home Alone is obviously um, yeah, immense. Uh, Home Alone 2 is better. You think Home Alone 2 is better? Okay. 100%. Well, 
it, it's quite a, it's quite a, it's quite an, it's quite a, it was quite, um, I don't know, serendipitous to whatever the, the word is to say, uh, you know, it had the Twin Towers in it, right? These guys are, the kids on top of the Twin Towers. It goes towers. right on top of it, yeah. Quite, quite a historical, you know, moment there. And then he goes and like high five Donald Trump. That's it. Like, I was going to say. It's like, wow. <laughs> it's like this, this foretelling of the future, right? I mean, this is the, showing the two most important historical events come into contact of this, what is about to happen, come into contact with this movie. Passing through Macaulay Culkin. You got to understand yeah. that anyone, anyone disagreeing with the Home Alone 2 thesis being better than Home Alone 1 it's very difficult to pull off effectively the exact same movie, but just putting a New York skin over the top of it. But they managed to pull it off. I mean, the, just, aside from the fact that the parents are absolute reprobates and just like forgetful, horrible people that should probably be locked up. The old man, I mean, you see, you see the house that they live in. I don't know what he was doing. Uh, there's a meme going around recently that, you know, he was, um, he was, the, he was working as a cop for Tony Soprano. Because uh, it's the same actor, but uh, the slapstick in Home Alone Two, in that old um, brownstone, uh, that's just that's just old time. But that's the thing, man. So the '90s, the culture, the music. There's a whole bunch of stuff, and maybe it's just pure nostalgia. But I always think of you know being a kid during then and just being like, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. We got a lot of school stuff. It's all the rage now. Like all the kids literally are just dressing like you know I used to dress in 1993, four, which is weird. Uh, but maybe in the future we can kind of get back to a semblance of. I think there's also a lot of naivety in the 90s as well. Like we hadn't quite peeled back the the curtain of the Wizard of Oz. So the 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 people that were running the show uh, could get away with a lot more uh, stuff. There's probably a lot more bread and circuses, perhaps. So it's the same old nonsense, you know. There was the Iraq War Part One and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, man, my vision of the future with Bitcoin is is something akin to that, where people are all being productive and 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 providing value to another, and uh, and we can just kick back and watch a movie without it having to tell me some subliminal message of why I'm a bad person. Yeah, there was something there in the 90s. Like, it was something, it was the peak of Western civilization as far as, you know, I'm concerned. Like, it, I it agree. definitely got worse after, after that. And I don't, I can't fully explain it. I try to, yeah, I, I try to understand. I, I listen to those, that music now. And even music I didn't even like at the time from the 90s, right? I mean, I can listen to Spice Girls now and, like, like quite enjoy it. Just, the, <laughs> just because of, what, like, the, what, the, the, the vision. Yeah, the, 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 the way that the, the underlying cultural milieu, it reminds me of that. Like, there was a kind of positive vision of the future. It was exciting. Things could be exciting. Things could be better. Things were changing, and it was going to be incredibly good. Whatever the changes were, it was going to be, go it was going to be great. That was kind of like the underlying picture of the 90s, right, for me. Um, the, yeah, the technology was improving, and things were getting more exciting. And then, obviously, it went, it went off the off the rails uh, i i can't tell you exactly you know why but i have my my, my theories it's got nothing you know. to do with new metal <laughs> no i didn't uh, the, the the music stayed interesting and good for a little while after the 90s ended this is true this is true yeah so that was there was a kind of delayed effect there um but then it started to get bad midway to the 2000s 
I mean, I think it's something to do with the September 11th thing and how it sort of shocked everyone out of the 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 idea that there wasn't evil in the world and things were just going to get better or the evil was just getting going to get completely wiped out and that there yeah. was evil and now we're all in this battle of good and evil which really wasn't we're in a fake battle of good and evil <laughs> wasn't there a book written like called the end of history or something like that where it was yeah, it, it just sort of you know underlined there you are and it's just like that we're, we're, we're good now we're just going to sail off into the sunset and then they just rug pulled us all with what was it three or four different crises within the first 20 years of the century yeah 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 and they were not real crises either they were no they were all manufactured bullshit but god bless uh satoshi for uh injecting a little bit of hope into this into this um fledgling hellscape um, re- in relative terms, uh, you know, and, and enabling people to um, literally afford bootstraps for which to pull themselves up with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the, it's a miracle, it's a miraculous thing. Uh, it, it, it's as close as you can get to magic. The fact that this thing exists, right? Um, Bitcoin existing is definitely. I don't feel it's like something we deserved. <laughs> it's something that we got from some incredibly uh, incredible person, I guess, but also just good luck of people actually adopting it, people actually, those initial people, like from going from zero to one users, right, other than Satoshi, and then to two and to three, mm. um, you know, and posting about it on forums and actually doing all that initial work. It's, a, it's incredible those people got the fire burning, um, and now it's never going to stop. I very, feel very, very lucky. Feel very grateful for those people that did that. And you also got the people who took that and then said, you know, we're going to make the Lightning Network on top of that. And that sounded like an absolute nonsense, I crazy idea to a lot of people um, at the time. But they we took they took some of the best talent, you know, in engineering, and they said, no, we think this is important, and we're actually going to bring it into reality. We're going to argue with each other about it the whole time and try and specify something and rip and do it. And they did it. Um, and there's another miracle. And I think that the miracles just keep coming from now on, right? So that's what we work to do every day to try and try and support these miracles, try and try and bring new miracles, try and bring frost snap. Hopefully, that's going to be a miracle. <laughs> people, uh, people uh, get excited again. Standing on the shoulder of giants. That's that's exactly. the that's the, yep. the way. Yeah. What does Bitcoin mean to you? Yeah. So. Personally, so it's a, there's a kind of, this is really new thought. So let me, let, I'm always re reconsidering, right? What this thing means to me, that is, um, means you're going to get some not very well articulated thoughts because they're always, uh, they're always being refined, let's say. That's and, the uh, best, the they're the best revision, kind of thoughts. This revision maybe is buggy. So let me try and, let me try and uh, run the software anyway in my brain. Iterate away. Uh, Exactly. So I, let's look at technology in general. So technology, I think, is the way it appears to people. Um, it's actually a way to make life simpler. So technology simplifies tasks, uh, things that you you could allows you to do things you could maybe do before in a simpler way, mm-hmm. um, and maybe things you couldn't do before, and then that uh, actually is a simplifying force in your life. Your life, for example, is so much more simpler and predictable than any human's life 
has been probably like since the beginning of time. Like the, the, the way your food can just appear at your doorstep, um, you know, the way you can just transport yourself from here to there. Like it's all very, very predictable um, and simple. And so that's, that's actually, I mean, that's a good thing. People don't get, when the technology is good, people usually don't get bored by that. Um, you would that that's one thing that you always got to be concerned about when it's like if things become too predictable or too boring um then thing they might they might start to hate life right that's one concern you always have it turns out not to really be the case like things were getting simpler and simpler into the 90s like we mentioned like we mentioned and just people find new things to do new things to simplify there's always something to simplify like you have this guy, I mean, not right now, Elon Musk is trying to simplify going to space, right? And so there's so many, there's so many challenges, actually. There's a never-ending challenge to try and make things better, to try and uh, simplify people's lives, to make them more rewarding. Actually, it turns out to be more rewarding. Right. If you can simplify these meaningless tasks around life, you can find uh, more reward in the things you want to pursue. And okay? this is the positive vision of technology. Now there's another vision of technology and we have a lot of these technologies more recently right which is technologies that actually make life more complicated uh, and now we have i mean i guess you guys when i guess you recall we had this pandemic recently and we had this very complicated mrna technology and it didn't really uh, help actually it made things kind of worse because it was more complicated the technology is complicated maybe it could be refined into like something that's simple and really works well and predictably maybe that, that's what technology that's what you know, that's that's the progression that things take maybe it was just a bit too early for it uh, but what happened is it complicated the whole relationship between the state and the people as well it was just very made, made the existence of it made it very things very complicated um, because it was not very good and then it was forced on everyone uh, and this this became a big point of contention and made just navigating society complicated for, for me, for everyone. You know, just QR codes and shit and like whatever. Um, you know, being barred from entry to certain places and unexpectedly. So it was all um, it was all very complicated. Yeah, we have so many technologies like this now that are coming up that are making things more complicated. Look at uh, look at the just the amount of work you have to do to account for things, like do your accounting and do your taxes. Super freaking complicated, and it wouldn't be possible without computers, right? So we have technology right. that's kind of piggybacking itself onto computers to make your life more complicated. So if you, if you, for example, get more productive, uh, you know, and you make more profits uh, personally, you maybe you wouldn't need to work five days a week. You could work three days a week, but actually, the two days will somehow the system will make the make you spend the two days doing something else. What they will do is. Um, make fake jobs for people and make you make new regulations and use computers to navigate to, to build the whole thing and those two days will be gone and you'll have to pay you know more money and go back to the work for the next two days so whatever no matter how better you can make things on like your individual level you're like it's, it's getting worse whatever space you make to improve it's just it's filling up the space with um with time wasting right and complexity mm -hmm. they just if they if you manage to make something simpler they'll make it more complicated things are always as bad as they possibly can be in because of this i think we are like overwhelmed we're at peak like bad technology now that is making uh things more complicated it's a lot of it's to do with the financial system that's why we work in bitcoin right uh, the financial system gets every time more complicated every time more involved in government more uh 
more supported by government uh, because it's super fragile. And fragility is a kind of complexity, right? Um, and things are going to fail in all these different kinds of ways. And that's why you need all these regulators there. And that's why you need to pay all the regulators. And that's what introduces the friction. And that's why you need to pay more people to, you know, make sure you're compliant with the regulations and so on. And so that, that can all be done and the computers help it, right? The computers help make the financial system more complicated, help the things accelerate the failures faster, help need, need more oversight because so many more things are happening so much, more, so much more quickly, need more people to write the software to account for all the things, to have a look to see what may be violating the regulations and so on. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of complexity there. So we have these good technologies and these bad technologies sort of in a fight uh, from the beginning of time, maybe. Uh, and so Bitcoin is clearly like a massively good one um, if it can be kept simple, okay? So a lot of, that's why I stress simplicity in anyone building things with Bitcoin, like the, fi the financial tools we use to work on Bitcoin should be as simple as possible. Like do not make new complicated derivatives or ways of, doing things, lending money with Bitcoin and stuff. And it's just totally never been seen before. It's not, not super necessary. We just actually need to keep it simple and boring. Um, and that's how we win. That's how we remove all this complexity from our lives and go back to the positive vision, return back to the 90s and carry on from there before we got overburdened with all this stuff. Um, yeah, make that's, computers that's slaves again. Yeah, yeah. Make computers serve us again rather than we serve them and their algorithms and stuff. Yeah, I mean, totally. We've got to, we, we, know, we don't need to, like, people, the complexity view of like the, the complicated technology enthusiasts, right? Who are there, they love, they love AI, they love, they love quantum computers, even though those are like, don't even exist and are not real. They love the metaverse and other bullshit and things like this that are just not really nourishing or simplifying technologies that try, trying to get things more complicated. Um, and yeah, we need to we need to put a put a stop to that. I think and return to simplify simplifying technologies. And the the most like the, the complicated people they really love this other thing called um like a transhumanism, right? Yeah. Uh, the idea that you can change your gender with like drugs and surgeries is very attractive to them. Um, and that's complicated because that makes, you know, what was simple before more complicated. So it's got this complicated technology that doesn't really work. And usually the complicated technologies don't really work very well to try and change agenda now, right? Um, and trying to convince people to do that. There's a lot of this transhuman, we don't need transhumanism actually. Like we are trying to upgrade the human race, um, the human species, we're trying to upgrade it. And Bitcoin is the biggest upgrade you can do because it's the, it's the, the coordination system. Yeah, it's a, it's a cognitive yes. upgrade. Yeah, it's yeah. You don't need you don't need you don't need to put computers in people's brains. Actually, no, we, no, you don't. Like you literally don't need to do that. I mean, then there could be. It 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 it's actually evolution of consciousness. We had this conversation with Nozomi uh, a little while back, and you know we sort of incorporated a little bit of Steiner's thinking, which is over a hundred years old now. But Rudolf Steiner was talking about the evolution of consciousness, and that humans maybe not physiologically evolving uh in in as in as obvious a ways but it's a it's a it's a it's an evolution of consciousness and cognition throughout time yep. that enables us to even be in a position for an individual or group of individuals to conceive of something that actually works and engineer something like bitcoin which then can 
as you said, uh, catch fire and spread throughout uh, cyberspace uh, to the point where we can have complete 180s in people's uh, outlooks on life. And I've had over 50-odd conversations with people on Discovering Bitcoin. And the one thread uh, through all of this, particularly when you ask that question, you know, uh, how has Discovering Bitcoin changed you, is it, it, it's this uh, sense of hopefulness. And I, I don't really like the word hope because there's also the hope that kills you and it sort of keeps mm. you hanging on. But um, this, this notion that, it, it, well, uh, Christian Knowles, uh, CK, Snarks, he says it's, it's, it's a software upgrade uh, on the human mind. Yep. Because it just allows you a sure footing from which to operate on, increases optionality over time so that you can go a little bit further out on the risk curve than you otherwise would um, to apply your particular skill set that you want to nurture and cultivate. And the fact that you even could, off your own bat, go and study cryptography, that makes you actually infinitely more valuable than anyone that's actually gone to university, I think, and studied cryptography. because you're willing yourself voluntarily to learn this thing, which means that you probably will see nuances within this field that others won't because there's not as much of an incentive because effectively you just show up to class, take notes, try and pass the exam. You know, mm -hmm. th there was a complete different motivation for you to actually go and study cryptography yourself. And if you apply that to any number of other trades, uh, activities you're just gonna and in and scale that up i mean far out man we're gonna have the 90s on steroids you know the, the kind of action <laughs> movies we're gonna get to see it's gonna be awesome uh, totally so yeah you don't need to put you actually like it's very inefficient to upgrade humanity by inserting chips into every single person like that doesn't it's not good from resources it's complicated uh they can fail and it just doesn't maybe it doesn't even improve like what are they for like how do you measure that they've been improved when you put chips in people, like the transhumanists want to do, right? Uh, that it's like cutting off people's arms and giving them bionic arms. I mean, it's just um, breeding like more complicated humans uh, that have like these things from the beginning. Uh, is that actually going to improve things? Like, what does it mean in, even to improve? It's not. It's very. It's very sketchy. But we know, like, sure, certain things that will improve it. If you can improve the coordination system that we have, which is the most important coordination system, is money, mm -hmm. right? We have the internet, which is an information system. Okay, so that's and that's been a big improvement um, for everything. But then we have like the coordination, the network of money, right? the, the the value network. You can just upgrade that to a simple. And right, technology upgrades things by simplifying them. Right, to simplify that thing, instead of having every country with being with their own currencies and their own set of parasitic uh, complexities, just have one single global one global settlement layer for the same asset. I mean, that's just going to upgrade humanity to points that you, you can't like imagine, right? That's the set, that's as big or if not bigger than the internet itself in terms of a species upgrade. And um, yeah, that's what, we, that's what we're doing here. Um, that's, uh, yeah, and for me, like, I, even, like I've actually become religious over this, this time, especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. I, I was not religious before, I was very nihilistic. I became a Bitcoiner first, but then I, you know, uh, I got into reading the Bible, studying Christianity a bit. And so now I really believe that this is what it is all about. And this is actually a continuation of, uh, for me, like Jesus Christ, um, you know, showing us the way.
to improve our lives, uh, to, to show us how to expose the complexity of the violent, the violent people in, in the society by being peaceful and just showing love to everyone. Uh, that'll get you killed, actually. That's what he showed, and that's what you all have to do. And that's what kind of good technologies carry on from that example. Just like Bitcoin is there, and you just, uh, it's just peaceful. It doesn't, there's no, there's no politic, there's no, there's no violent coercive things needed to do it. Any Bitcoiner is doing things peacefully, doesn't need to use coercion even to protect your Bitcoin. You don't even need violent implements even to protect them. Uh, no, what no amount of political influence can change it, and that is very, very. That is going to if this okay. If we don't end up in hyper Bitcoinization, at least it will carry out the task uh, of exposing the violent elements of our society. They will have to get violent, very, very violent, in order to stop it. In order for us to just have the truth, which is embodied in the you know the UTXO set, the blockchain. Uh, the, the real hard ground truth and just expo just put that out there every single day through your Bitcoin node. Um, that's gonna that's good. That's an upsetting system. I mean, you just ones and zeros sent over the internet, right? But that but just having the actual factual information there and being able to depend on that, that is very, very upsetting to the current rulers of our system. That is that is going to be a problem for them. There's actually no way to to subtly stop it. I don't think you can tax it or just be annoying at the edges to stop that. I think you really have to, you, you're gonna have to make an attempt to actually arrest people and jail people. And it should help exposing um, what, those, what those people are doing. The Christian, the Christian in me, which, which says, says that actually, the thing that Christianity has that Bitcoin doesn't have is that actually what you have to do when at that moment is forgive those people which is something, I mean, it's not exactly, you know, I see a lot, like, even after COVID, you see, like, you know, we need to hang these people, we need, you know, because they did very terrible things. Um, and so that's, that's also an important thing to me. Like, Bitcoin is even an extension of uh, my belief in God. And it actually, like, it, it's a subset of it. And you need to, you need to extend it with the forgiveness, I think, of all the bad actors that they, you know, we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the persecute the people who pers even the people who persecute you, you need to in the end forgive them for what they all the people try to stop Bitcoin. I mean, once we become like the the new elite, if we do, if we do become the new elite, we have to make sure we don't, don't um, go on a persecutive tirade against all the people who try to stop this from happening. I think that's uh, yeah, it would it would completely undermine and undo all of the good uh, that we're all striving for. And you are right. I mean. It's important to uh, exercise that forgiveness as often as possible. Certainly not let them forget. And even now, every now and again, I'll poke fun at some of the people that gave me a hard time during that period. And in a jokingly sort of way, <laughs> just did a mention to them. Um, I, I, was, I was having, I was out the other day and this, I had an interaction with a the person without going into too much detail. Anyway, my uh, my wife was like, "Oh, was that awkward?" I was like, "No, nah, not for me. I wasn't the one being a tyrant, you know, back in the day." And she's like, "Oh, yeah, fair enough." Um, and you just look cheerful and constructive are the watchwords. Sailor, you know, sort of has has implemented those those uh, that phrase, I suppose, into my brain. Um, and and that's it, man. If you if What's you just meet. 
uh, ch- cheerful and constructive. You know, if you oh, okay. if you implement, um, if you fight fire with fire, and you and you and you 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 go out and persecute these sorts of people. I mean, you can let them know that they're being dumbasses and 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 making making life really shitty for a period of time there, and that they should probably be a little bit more um, mindful of their thoughts uh, and deeds and actions, but. Um, if you if you just meet them with the same amount of force and and coerciveness, you know better. You know it's it's voluntarism at all times, optionality at all times, and you know ultimately, uh, what's that Chinese proverb? You know the the best course of action in in a in a conflict is to just leave. And it's like walk away, man. We we got Bitcoin. We're fine. Fuck off. Go and enjoy your shitty system. We're going to go and build this parallel thing over here. And uh, you're welcome to join at any point in time. And you don't even have to do anything. You don't even have to say sorry. Just buy some fucking Bitcoin and, and walk across the bridge. Yeah. Absolutely. Lloyd, I hate having the last word on this on this podcast. So um, uh, I might even scrub that last little bit so that you can finish. <laughs> <laughs> um okay last words um yeah i don't i check out frostnap that's that's what i'm working on and um you know if you're really super hyped if you're australian especially um and you want and, and you're in sydney uh that that would be good if you could uh check it check it out and once we have like a you know an early adopters or like an alpha test that would be good to have people that i could you know meet in real life to actually uh, test it out and get, get like some high quality feedback from those people. So if you're a Bitcoiner, pay attention to Frostnap, join the mailing list uh, thing we got there or follow the Twitter account. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna, I think we're, we're finally at the point where we can start using Taproot. Uh, the features that we enabled in uh, 2021 or wherever it was, are finally going to start benefiting Bitcoin users and you're going to see what that was all about. Uh, you, haven't, you haven't seen it yet. Just uh, like, you know, a change in You address. mean it goes beyond just dick butts on the blockchain? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, we did do, yes, we did put JPEGs on there. Ah. Um, that, that I didn't do that. And then, like, please don't think that that was because of Taproot, actually. That wasn't because of Taproot. It's, the reason is there's a guy called Casey Rodemore, and this guy is decided to use his, his brilliance, like his admitted brilliance as an engineer. To make that happen and to make that real, uh, to satisfy his aesthetic tastes, uh, his very powerful aesthetic tastes, which overcome him uh, at, the, at that moment, and to implement this software very, very well so it actually works. Because the main thing that was stopping people from doing this is that it, the software is tricky to write. Um, uh, and so most people who are dumb enough to buy JPEGs or do that wouldn't write it. Uh, but then you have a guy, I guess I call him the, the Banksy of Bitcoin. Who is, uh, you know, as an artist who took it as an art project, a very smart guy who took it as an art project to make that possible. And so now we have that, and it's really nothing to do with Taproot, I don't think. Um, I, I I could see it being done before Taproot. I can see it everything happening before Taproot. It's just that he uh, made it aesthetically pleasing. In aesthetic, please, uh, Taproot it pleased his uh, aesthetic sensibilities to 
to do it, I guess. And then he he did it. So we so we we had that and whatever. It, I think mostly like the shame about it is that it's it's wasting people's time. Like people uh people like Casey, people other people, they could have done better things with their time, probably. Though I don't really know, you know, what they could have done. <laughs> but probably something better than that. I don't I can't really speak, you know, to the situations everyone else is in. It's very hard when you're like um you want to work on Bitcoin, but none of the Bitcoin companies will hire you or have a you know environment that you want to work in anyway. Um, it's, it's tricky. What do you do in that situation? So, so I hope uh, with Frostnet we can create a company that you know we can uh, hire Bitcoiners and have to stop them from doing uh, silly things. Uh, but yeah, the that's the taproot is now the real things, the real important things, the simplification, right? The, not the complex. You know, the JPEGs are a complexifying technology. Ordinals are a complexifying technology that is making, um, you know, things. I guess I would say that they're making things worse, even though that they, they, they it's an achievement, it's a technical achievement to actually do that. Although ordinals themselves, the protocol is a kind of simplifying thing. It's a very, very simple specification, and it's kind of nice about it. Um, the way users use it, it doesn't make things more complicated. But aesthetically, the, the specification is kind of nice. It, it's simple, but it's not simple when you actually it doesn't make things simple for Bitcoin. Uh, and so, yeah, so we're going to see these more simplifying technologies come out now. Hopefully, Taproot will get into Lightning at some point uh, soonish, and so you'll get a, a simpler address format and, yeah, simpler on-chain footprint, smaller on-chain footprint, less trackable on-chain footprint for Lightning, and you're going to get, um, you're going to get a, you're going to get nice multi-sigs that are very flexible and very, very simple to use. If we get, if we can pull it off, and that's uh, that's the final word. <laughs> I love it. it doesn't <laughs> Everything in its time, man. Lloyd, thank you very much for spending some scarce time, finite energy, telling us the tale of how you discovered Bitcoin. It's been a a wild little conversation. Uh, we went up and down the bell curve, and uh, I learned a lot. I'm actually really curious to learn a little bit more about this frost nap. I did see Nick present at Bushbash and. Um, the video that he did at Baltic Honey Badger. Uh, I might actually put that in the show notes uh, for people uh, if they're curious to listen. And I'll certainly have the website there as well uh, for people to investigate and join the mailing list. I know of a few people that would be interested in uh, using um, that tech um, in, a, in a sort of uh, prototypical way or, you know, whatever it is that you, you're... Um, looking to scale into to sort of get some actual, you know, user feedback and things like that. But I certainly think that this tech has the power to, as I said, uh, be a lot more flexible, bring a lot more flexibility and power to the user, the end user in whatever capacity they, they look. So dude, thank you so much for telling us the tale of how you discovered Bitcoin. Cheers, brother. Thank you very much. Just... Thank <laughs> you.